This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. This is part two, so I need to review just briefly. I'm not going to go, uh, I'm not going to review a lot because uh, we have a lot more to cover in this lesson and I need to cover it today. So, um, the, the lesson is entitled, The Role of the Local Church in Missions. All of this month of November, actually this quarter, we've been teaching lessons relative to missions. And uh, we worked that out in a practical way in our missions conference. Thank the Lord for our missions conference. We had a great conference, didn't we? Mm-hmm. And uh, so <clears throat> behind that conference, there's a, there's a lot of philosophy. There's a lot of biblical teaching and uh, we, don't, we don't have a missionary conference just for the sake of taking up a week's time in the church's schedule. Uh, there's a biblical basis for it. And uh, we have, um, uh, we've already covered a lot of that. And uh, there's a lot more to be covered. And so let's get down to it today. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the privilege that we have this day to gather again as our class Thank you, Lord, for those who are able to come here today. I thank you, God, for those who are watching at home by live stream. Lord, we thank you for our missions program. Thank you, God, for the missionary spirit, the the heart for missions that's uh, so manifested by the people of God here at Good News Baptist Church. And we pray today, Father, that as we delve further into this truth that the church is the center of missions, that you will confirm that more firmly in our minds today, in our hearts. Help us, God, to receive some things from your word today that will teach us and strengthen us. And thank you, God, for our missionaries, our missionary family. I pray your blessing upon them. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you will keep them safe in their fields of service that you, Father, will provide for all of their needs through this local church and others as we, as we corporately together uh, extend uh, care and hand, uh, a hand of uh, blessing and, and support to these, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On the first page of your notes, um, uh, this is, I don't think this is left printed in your notes, but I, I want to read a paragraph that I wrote regarding uh, the the assembled church. The first, the first, uh, we don't, we only got to the introduction the last time, and uh, but I think it was important that we cover the material we did, uh, trying to establish on a biblical basis the purpose for the church and the role that the church plays in the missions program of our church and any church for that matter. But anyway, the question is asked, to whom was God's missionary commission, the Great Commission, given? And the first uh, blank there that you have already filled in probably, if you were in that class, was the assembled church. And we read Luke chapter 24, verses uh, 33 and 49, in fact, through 49. In fact, let me just read, not that whole passage again, but just a portion of that passage. Jesus met with his disciples after his resurrection And this is what he said to them. He says uh, in verse 46 of uh, Luke chapter 24, he says, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer, uh, to raise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Ye are witnesses of these things. He's talking to his disciples here. And, um, and then he said this in verse 49, And behold, I send the promise. And we identified that promise as the promise of the Holy Spirit. Remember in John chapter 14 and also in John chapter 15, Jesus promised that when he leaves, he's going to send another comforter, a paraclete, one who comes alongside a comforter of the Holy Spirit as a reference to the Holy Spirit. That was the promise that God gave And um, in this New Testament age, in this dispensation of the church, 
we know that that happened on the day of Pentecost. Now, in the last chapter of John, John chapter 20, 20, Jesus breathed on the disciples and said, I want you to receive ye the Holy Spirit. I believe that that was the conception of the New Testament church in the heart of prophecy. And then we see that church brought to birth on the day of Pentecost 40 days later in Jerusalem on that uh, day on the day of Pentecost when that 120 disciples were gathered in the upper room praying and the Bible says that the Holy Spirit descended upon them in fire as cloven tongues and so forth, a cloven tongues of fire. That was the birth of the New Testament church. And uh, on that day of Pentecost, the apostles preached there in Jerusalem. There was gathered in Jerusalem representatives from all all countries of the of the of the known inhabited world at that time. They were all Jews, and they had come back to Jerusalem to celebrate that um, that uh, feast of Passover, uh, of Pentecost, and um, and God used that occasion to birth the church. And on that day, there were there were over three thousand people won to Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that they, they all became a part of the New Testament church. That was the birth of the New Testament church. But here we see our Lord giving to, our, give to the disciples who were the pillars of the New Testament church. And we identified that in a verse of scripture uh, two weeks ago. And, uh, and, and he said this. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. And so we believe that this commission, the commission of preaching the gospel to all the world, was given to the New Testament church, and thus the program of missions or the idea of missionary endeavor is a local church ministry. It's a local church thing. And here's the paragraph I wrote. Our Lord's disciples were the pillars and grounds of the New Testament church, Galatians 2.9. When Jesus initially gave his missionary commission to his disciples, the New Testament church had not yet been born. It had been conceived in the womb of prophecy, John chapter 20. I just referred to that. But it was not born until 40 days later on the day of the Feast of Pentecost at Jerusalem, Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. It's safe to conclude that in giving this commission to his disciples before his ascension into heaven, it was our Lord's intention for them, uh, our Lord's intention for them to pass it on, to pass on the church with his authority, and make it a part of the bedrock foundation of the missions of the mission of the New Testament church. The meeting, the meeting of Jesus with his disciples. That is recorded in Luke chapter 24 and John chapter 20, was to prepare his disciples for this new phase of their calling and ministry of the New Testament church. And so that's the basis for our lesson today. And we went ahead and filled in uh, the other blanks there. But that brings us now to the next point, and that is Roman numeral number one in your outline here. What does it mean for the local church to be central to sending missionaries? What does that mean? When we say the church is at the center of sending missionaries, what do we mean by that? Well, we all know what the center is, and we know, <clears throat> we know basically what it means to center around something. And so the local church is vital to missions because it's responsible for many aspects of the ministry of missionary endeavor. And here we have several things listed here. So start filling in some blanks. The first one is this, uh, letter A, evaluation. Evaluation. It's necessary for us to evaluate men and their qualifications, men and women and their qualifications to carry out this great commission. And God gave that responsibility to the local church. Here's, a, here's some scripture verses. First, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 and 15 say, through 15 said this, For such are false apostles, 
deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. And then there's a very important verse that we find in 1 John, in John's first epistle, chapter 4, and verse 1, and here it is. Beloved, believe not every spirit. You know, folks, this is a very, very important verse of Scripture. Believe not every spirit. And then John, in the next phrase, says this. He says, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are going out into the world. Not everybody that claims to be a missionary. In fact, we have a, we have a movement uh, in America uh, that send out missionaries all over the world. And uh, the Mormons, I'll just name it. <clears throat> Uh, they send out missionaries all over the world. I had a doctor one time. Some of you in the church, in the church had this same doctor who was a very prominent person in that church that took a sabbatical from his, from his practice here in, in the States to, to go as a missionary for, I think it was two years. He closed, just closed his practice down for two years and went to a foreign country as a missionary uh, on behalf of that, that movement. Um, try the spirits, the scripture says. Not everybody that claims to be a missionary is a biblical missionary preaching biblical truth. And that's the reason why John challenges us to try the spirits to see if they be of God. Um, <clears throat> The word try there is a Greek word, according to Thayer's Greek-English lexicon, it means to test, to examine, to prove, to scrutinize, to see whether a thing is genuine or not. And so it's the church's responsibility to evaluate missions, missionaries. Now, if the church is not doing that, who's going to do it? I believe God gave that responsibility to the church to do that, to the true church to do that. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10, one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is the discerning of spirits. That's a gift that God gives. He gave it to the church. He, uh, Paul speaking to the Corinthian church at this point there in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and there there's a listing of the gifts of the Spirit, a partial listening, listing, there's several lists of uh, gifts of the Spirit of God given in the Bible, in the New Testament. This is one of them. And among those in that list is the discerning of spirits. And according to Vincent in his word studies, he said this word try, the word try that we just uh, looked at there in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, this word try should be compared with the word discerning. Sometimes it's difficult to tell if the spirits of our missionaries that our missionaries are confronted with uh, are proper spirits or phony spirits. It's a good statement. Are they of God or not? Some of them are transformed into the apostles of Christ, some of the false spirits. And that's why the sending church and pastor needs to be involved in the missionary's ministry. A godly pastor can help the missionary evaluate the spirit, uh, to help the, 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 the missionary evaluate the spirit and protect him from the ambush of Satan. And so if a, if a missionary has a sending church, and every missionary should have a sending church, but since the missionary has a sending church, he should depend on that church and that pastor to help him discern whether that which he is confronted with on the mission field is either genuine or not genuine. Try the spirits to make sure they're of God. And so <clears throat> that's a responsibility that God has given to the local church to evaluate. The second one, letter B, training. Paul wrote to Timothy, his young preacher boy, uh, Timothy, by the way, was the pastor of the church at Ephesus. 
And in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, Paul tells him this. He says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. And so Paul here is telling his, the pastor of this church at Ephesus, he says, I want you, you need to train others to go out and train others. That's what he's saying. And so one of the missions of the church is to train, train missionaries. I thank God our pastor has a burden for that. Uh, he took many hours of training uh, when the uh, senior moment, folks, and every one of you here saying, yeah, I have those. The people in Guernsey, England. Huh? Yeah, little pages. Um, thank you. I knew their name. <laughs> um, he spent hours training them to go to the mission field. But that word commit in that verse is a good word. Uh, metaphorically, as a teacher, it means to set or to lay before. And Timothy was the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And Paul charged him to teach others the things that he had learned for the ministry. In other words, he was, training, he was to train some preacher boys to send, out, send them out to train other preacher boys. It's kind of interesting. We're going to look at this here in just a few moments, Third uh, John. But it's kind of interesting to note that at least some of the missionaries that are spoken of in, that, in John's third epistle which, by the way, I believe is a missionary. There's a big, good, solid missionary message in 3 John, which we'll not get to today. But, but anyway, it's interesting to note that some, at least some of the missionaries that Gaius, who was a member of that church, was ministering to there, <clears throat> uh, those itinerant missionaries that were coming through there, a lot of those missionaries came out of the church of Ephesus where Timothy was preaching, where he was pastoring. We, 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 we surmise that because John also was in that church at Ephesus. And he refers, when he writes his third epistle, he refers to those missionaries coming back to the church where he was, the area where he wasn't giving a report. And so we believe that many of those itinerant missionaries that came out of that church at Ephesus came through where Gaius was, and Gaius was ministering to them. And I'll give you some more information about that uh, in just a few moments. So in his third epistle, um, uh, we're, we're, um, we're going to take a look at that, as I said, uh, in just a few moments. But, but Timothy and the church at Ephesus trained these missionaries, and perhaps Timothy was given this charge when he was ordained to the ministry. That ought to be a part of the ordination uh, charge that's given to any preacher that's entering the ministry is to train others. In Titus chapter 1 and verse 5, it says this, For this cause left I, Titus is saying, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things which were wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I have appointed them. Now, the third thing that the church is uh, responsible for is sending and supporting. Here's an interesting thing, and we talked about this in, uh, uh, three weeks ago. But in, in uh, Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 13, would you turn there? And I just want to mention this again. I, I'm not going to dwell on it as much as I did before. But it's the local church's responsibility to send out and support missionaries. Uh, beginning with uh, verse 1, Acts chapter 13, it says this. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, which is called Niger, and Lucius the Cyrene, <clears throat> Manian, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I've called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. I mentioned two weeks ago that that Greek word sent is a different Greek word than the word sent in the next verse. Look at the next verse, verse 4. So they being sent forth by the Holy Spirit departed from, 
uh, unto Seleucus and so forth. But that word in verse 3 for sent is the Greek word apaluo, which literally means to loose without a burden. Send them out without a burden. And you know what, the, you know what this is saying here to the church at Antioch? Send these missionaries out and support them so that they're not brought under burden. And so it's a responsibility of the local church to support missionaries. I've made this statement several times during the course of this study that a church that's not doing that is not a genuine New Testament church doing what God called the New Testament church to do. If a church discontinues its missions program, as I have given you some examples of in the past, that church is in direct disobedience to God's call upon it to be a, a local church. Uh, God help Good News Baptist Church if we ever decide that the home that, that we need all that money at home instead of sending it to the mission field. When I was pastoring in Hopewell, Virginia, when I first went there, we had we had a whole lot more month than we had money. The church was way in, in deep in debt. It took us three years to get it out. Uh, I went to a local banker who was a Christian, and uh, he was very interested in the ministry. He was, uh, he was a Baptist. He was a Southern Baptist, but he was a good man, and he was very interested in our ministry and, and really helping us. And some of our debt was with that bank. So I went to, I went to him, and I sat down with him and, and uh, talked with him, and I said, can you help me? to help the church have some guidelines as to how we can get out of this financial mess we're in. And so he took a look at our budget and took a look at our missions program and so forth, and he said, well, he says, I would recommend that you, that you take this missions money and, and pay off some of your bills. And I immediately said, uh, we're not going to do that. I said, this was money that was given by God's people to go to missions. And we have an obligation as a church. We have just as much of an obligation to our missionaries as we do to, to you, uh, the, the bank. And so we're not going to do that. So we're going to have to get the money some other how. Well, <clears throat> it was amazing how God provided when we, and the deacons and the, the, the deacons in the church were behind me on that decision. And, uh, he, he didn't particularly like that, but he still stuck in there and helped us, you know. And, and we really appreciated that. And, but anyway, um, it was amazing how money started to come in from unexpected sources to pay off these bills. We had some people in the church that went to that bank and, uh, and borrowed $1,000 on their name that they were going to pay that, that bill back themselves and gave it to the church. And in three years' time, our church was not only out of debt, but we were, we were financially on solid ground and, and the church was flourishing. But I believe that God blessed our commitment to missions. I believe God blessed us because we were trying to do what we felt like God wanted us to do and carry out the great commission as God had given it to us. And I think God honored that. And I think that's, that's true in our individual lives. When we, when we commit ourselves to do what God wants us to do, whether it's in the area of giving to missions or, or whatever it might be, that God's going to bless that. And... Uh, but anyway, it, it was, so, we, so it's, it's the responsibility of the church to send and support missionaries. And then uh, letter D, overseeing and caring. In Acts chapter 14, verse 27, it says, and, they, and when they were come, they had gathered the church together and rehearsed. Now, this is talking about Paul and Silas. Uh, on their first missionary trip, they, they took that first missionary trip and then they came back to the church at Antioch in chapter 14 and gave a report of what God had done. And this is the record of that here in verse 27. And when they were come, 
and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how, that they had, how he had opened uh, the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And so uh, they, they went out on that missions trip, supported by the church at Antioch, and then came back and gave a report of what God had done. But not only of what God had done, but also of some of the difficulties that they experienced on the field as well. Now let me read something here that I've written. <clears throat> Deputation is absolutely a necessary process in getting missionaries to the field. It's the, life, it's the lifeline of their, of their existence on the field. It seems like a shame for missionaries to take up to two or up to three to four years to get to their field of service, but if they don't take that time, they'll not be able to stay on their place of service for obvious reasons. However, there is another vital aspect of their ministry that may seem to be a waste of time to some people, and that is furlough time. Uh, when they report back to their supporting churches, Paul and Silas reported back to the church at Antioch and reported what God had accomplished through their ministry. They also reported the difficulties they faced on the field. Read that chapter 14 and they rehearsed some of those difficulties. Uh, the people back home need to know the difficulties that missionaries face so that they can pray more effectively. Furlough is a biblical aspect of a missionary's ministry. However, they also need to raise additional support to, uh, to replace some, some, that, some support that may have, they may have lost while they were on the field. And so it's an important aspect. We, we sometimes we wonder why does a missionary leave the field for a year and come back to the, to the States? Well, there are several reasons for it. One of them is missionaries need a break. They need a vacation. And uh, that's one thing, but that's not the biblical reason for it. The biblical reason is they need to come back and give a report. Now, I know we get missionary letters. We get letters from the field, uh, usually once a month or once a quarter. Sometimes missionaries send them uh, either way, and sometimes more often than that. And so that, in a sense, is reporting back. But when they can come back in person, take that time of relaxation Furlough is not always a time of relaxation. We have any missionaries here? Uh, Gene and Judy, um, but they weren't on a foreign field, but you still had to report back to your churches. And some others, uh, we have several retired missionaries in our church. Um, and they went through this. And there are some, there are some times when I, I've heard this said, why in the world does, does, does it take a missionary four years to get to the field after God calls him? He's got to raise support. There's only ever one missionary I've ever known in my life that went to one church and raised all the support she ever need, needed, and she went to, went to China. Or was it Japan? Japan? Yeah. And that was John Little's wife. Uh, she went to one church and they took her on for full support and she went to the field. That doesn't happen very often, <laughs> especially these days when it takes uh, much more. You know, I can remember the day when if a missionary raised $1,000 a month, he was okay on the field. Now they need three, four, sometimes $5,000 uh, uh, to get to the field. You know, uh, things have changed. But it takes a while to raise that and then it takes, and then after four years or, or so. Uh, used to be regularly, uh, every four years, a missionary would come home. Now, some of them are coming home more often for lesser, uh, lesser time, six months or, or even two or three months at a time so that they don't have to be gone an extended time and, and uh, they just come home more frequently. <clears throat> but they need that time. It's important. And so the church needs to be overseeing and, um, and caring for their missionaries this time. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 through 6. I'm not going to read that. Let me, let's skip over that because um, that's, that's important. But, but it has to do with, with, with giving. 
Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 14, says, Notwithstanding, you have well done that ye did communicate. That word communicate there means to give. You have given to my needs uh, with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated, no church gave to my needs as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. It was only the church at Philippi that, that helped Paul for a period of time. And then we find out later that the church of Thessalonica got involved and the Macedonian churches got involved and so forth. Uh, but, uh, but it's needful for our missionaries to, to take that time. All right, Roman number number two. How should we think about missions sending agencies or mission boards as we call them? Mission agencies. Uh, what is the purpose of mission agencies and how should we think about mission sending agents, agencies or mission boards? Like uh, BIMI or New Testament Baptist World, New Testament, um, uh, New Testament World Baptist Mission, New Testament you know what I'm talking about. John O'Malley's <laughs> New Testament, Worldwide, Worldwide New Testament Baptist Mission. Thank you. Or, uh, or, or Good News Prison Ministries or, or Armed Forces Baptist Missions. What should be our attitude for agencies like that? Well, letter A, agencies are a valuable means of organized cooperation among churches. Agencies are a valuable means of organized cooperation among churches. There are some pastors who consider mission agencies as optional. And maybe in some cases that's the case. I'm not sure. However, mission agencies provide valuable assistance to churches in areas that many churches are not equipped to handle. You know what some of those areas are? Let me share them with you. Uh, acquiring visas. Uh, assisting with foreign government problems. As a pastor, um, we had missionaries going out from this church that had problems getting their visas. They had problems uh, communicating with some of the foreign governments and so forth. I wasn't equipped as a pastor to handle those problems. I would have been scratching my head if I'd have had to handle those problems. But a lot of times, um, mission agencies have personnel that know how to know how to communicate with foreign governments. They know how to communicate with our our government here to help acquire visas and so forth to get to where God wants them to go. And so they serve a, a, a tremendous uh, uh, service. There are other reasons why. Providing adequate communication between the missionary and the churches. Here's an important one. Solving conflicts between missionaries on the field. And the list can go on and on. I remember one time uh, talking with John Gunner. He was telling me uh, when, when he was with uh, a mission agency... Uh, and he was uh, an executive in a mission agency. He was telling me that he had to make a trip to, I think it was Bolivia, if I'm not mistaken. Because there were missionaries on the field, not necessarily all with the same board, that were having conflicts. You may not know this, you may not realize this being home here, that one of the major problems on mission fields arises between missionaries on the field. Uh, they're made of flesh, as you know. They're as human as you and I are. And sometimes they have jealousies between ministries and, and they have conflicts between themselves and so forth. And, and it, it creates problems on the field. Well, John Gunner made a trip to Bolivia to help resolve a problem between two missionaries on the field. And God used that in a very effective way. And John told me that those two missionaries today are working together. They were back, this has been a number of years ago. We're working together and, and doing what God had called each of them to do, helping each other out and so forth. 
Um, <clears throat> maybe, maybe a local pastor would have been equipped to do that. I, I don't know. I'm not sure I would have particularly. But John Gunner was in a position uh, with that Meachin agency to be able to make that trip and to help resolve that problem on the field. And so mission agencies serve a wonderful, uh, wonderful ministry. Now, I mentioned 3 John a while ago. In 3 John, beginning at verse 5, it says this. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and strangers. Take note of those two words, are brothers and strangers. By the way, turn there and look at it in the Bible with me. If you will, 3 John. And... Uh, uh, you can pick any chapter. The verses are the same in any chapter in Third John. There's only one chapter, Reggie. Anyway, verses, verse 5. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and strangers, which have, some, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church. Whom if thou bring forward, uh, who, who if thou bring forward on their journey, that word bring means to send forward on some, someone's journey, that thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well, because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers of the truth. Now, <clears throat> Uh, John is writing here to a church. We're not sure where that church is located exactly. But we do know that John was in the church at Ephesus. And when he says here that these missionaries, uh, these missionaries are born witness of thy charity before the church, he means that, that they, they've come back and told us what you're doing there, Gaius. Uh, what you're doing for missionaries. And, and it's a good report. And... Uh, uh, so anyway, um, this, uh, this passage of 3 John is, uh, John is addressing a man by the name of Gaius who was a prominent member of the church. We don't know exactly where the church was located, but that information is not important to us at this point. Gaius personally supported itinerant preachers, the brethren and strangers as they're called, or missionaries who were going through there, helping that church where, uh, where Gaius was a member, and, uh, and Gaius was helping them. Gaius is known for his hospitality to missionaries and for equipping them for their ministries. He may have been responsible for helping to organize their itineraries and overseeing their needs. And in this respect, he may very well have organized the first missionary agency of the New Testament church age. It's obvious that he was forced to do, do so because of the selfish ill demeanor of another man in that church by the name of Diotrephes. As you know, Diotrephes uh, desired to have the preeminent in the church, preeminence in that church. And John addresses that. But God used this ungodly activity of Diotrephes to, to conceive an idea in the heart of a good man that had left us, of an, left us with an example of organization and assistance to missionaries today. Now, that's a little speculation there. We don't know exactly if that's what Gaius was doing, but we do know that Gaius was assisting these missionaries. He was assisting them with uh, money, with his resources, his finances. But he also may have been helping them with their itineraries and maybe even brought some sort of an organization, a structural organization together to help these missionaries in a very special way. And so <clears throat> it's very possible that Gaius, this might be the first indication of a mission agency that helped with these missionaries. And uh, so anyway, uh, let's, just, uh, let's just leave that right there and skip over some of this. Uh, two, uh, number one and two under that, agencies are useful for stra strategic coordination and field oversight. Agencies are useful for strategic coordina coordination 
and field oversight. Number two, agencies are servants of the local church. We're going to use a term here in just a few moments. Let me bring it up right now. Parachurch organization. What is a parachurch organization? Anybody got, anybody going to help me with that? Anybody, what is a, what's the prefix para mean? How about paraclete? That's the Holy Spirit comfort. All right, well, let me help you with it. Uh, mission agencies are parachurch organizations. That means, the word para means to alongside of, to come alongside of. That means it's, uh, it's not actually a part of the church, but it comes alongside of the church to assist the church. That's what a parachurch organization is. And uh, so anyway, uh, agencies are servants of the local church. Letter B under Roman numeral two. Agencies help organize and maintain support from multiple churches to finance their missionaries. They're clearinghouses in a sense. We send, we send the, the missionaries that we support under BIMI. We send their support to BIMI. So, uh, they, and BIMI collects support from all the churches under that organization that, uh, that, are, uh, that are going out under them. And uh, uh, one particular, a particular missionary, they put it in a pot and then they write a check to them. They send them that money to them. So they're kind of a clearinghouse that helps the church. Instead of us sending our, our, our check overseas to the missionary, we send it to the mission agency. They put it all together from the other churches that are sending to that same missionary and send it out. Uh, that seems like a very efficient and effective way to do it to me. And so that's what they do. All right, <clears throat> so uh, uh, we have to remember, however, that the only authority that a mission agency has is that which is delegated to them by the local church. There are parachurch organizations. They can't replace the church. The commission was not given to mission agencies. The Great Commission was given to the local church. And so the, the mission agency is only impacted by the Great Commission as it comes alongside of the church to assist the church, to help the church in that endeavor of missionary effort. So this brings us then to Roman numeral three. I got four minutes to cover this, so stick with me, okay? Why does it matter if we understand the church is, is central to sending missionaries? Why does it matter if we understand that the church is central to sending missionaries? Well, first of all, letter A, because the church is the goal and the means of missions. Uh, Ephesians 3.10 says, To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers and heavenly places uh, might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Letter B, because individualism and parachurch Ism can be problematic. The two, two um, uh, blanks there, individualism and parachurchism can be problematic. I've only got a couple minutes to handle this, and I wish I had more time because this is very, very important. Um, In Acts chapter 15 and verse 24, um, <clears throat> I think it's Paul that says, As far as much as we have heard, that certain which went out from us were troubled, were troubled, have troubled you with words subverting your souls, saying, uh, Ye must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. Here's what was happening. This came from the church. At, uh, this came from some of the new churches. Uh, there were some who had gone out from the church. 
the church at Jerusalem and not just the church at Jerusalem, the church at Antioch and some other churches. There were some that had gone out from those churches doing their own thing, teaching their own doctrine, individualism. They were, they were in ignorance preaching practicing wrong doctrine. I say in ignorance because we have to remember that they had been saved out of Judaism. Remember that? And they were taught under Judaism that circumcision was necessary to be obedient to God. And so some of these preachers, some of these preachers going out from these churches were teaching their converts that, that you had to be circumcised in order to be saved. Paul says, no, 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 no. And so what they did to correct this situation is they called a council together in the church at Jerusalem, the mother church at Jerusalem. And all of chapter 15 of the book of Acts is about that Jerusalem council and they dealt with this matter in detail. And as this council met, they, they deliberated the situation and they handed down um, the church's official position that circumcision was not necessary for salvation. We knew that anyway. But anyway, they sent missionary, they sent representatives back to these other uh, churches that were teaching this and told them that, they're, that they're, they're teaching false doctrine and they need to stop teaching it because it was not true. Now, it was the local church that made that decision. There were individuals that made the decision on their own that that's the doctrine they were going to teach, but the church collected says, no, no, no. It's wrong. And so, in that sense, individualism can be dangerous. But then there's another reason, and that, that's number one. Uh, number one is the word individualism. And let me read to you what I wrote about this. I'm out of time. Baloney. Individualism in relation to individualism in relation to missions can be very problematic for church members too. Since the Grace Commission is given to the local church, it is to be carried out by the local church, administered by the local church, and overseen by the local church. Since it is a commission to the local church, the corporate body of the church congregation is to develop the missionary program and decide what missionaries should be included and excluded by the church. When individuals within the congregation decide to support their own missionaries that are not a part of the local church's missionary program, they bypass every aspect of the local church's authority and oversight of missionary activity. Authority and oversight are God-given attributes entrusted to the local church. And so individualism can become a problem. We, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago that when we decide that we're not going to support the church's missions program and carry on our own, individualism becomes a serious problem. And uh, that's the reason why that God gave it to the church. Let's support the church's missions program. You say, well, I don't like all the missionaries the church is supporting. Well, if you have a personality conflict with them, if there's a doctrinal problem, we'd like to hear about it, you know. But then the second one, number two, is parachurchism. Parachurchism. Mission agencies or boards are, by nature, parachurch organizations. Does that make them wrong? No. Parachurch simply means alongside the church. Mission agencies come alongside of the church to assist it in, in its ministry. Christian schools are also parachurch organizations. These organizations exist to help the church's ministry function more effectively and efficiently. However, they can become problematic if they try to replace the church and begin to exercise authority that's not given to them by the church. No mission agency or Christian school or university should ever be allowed to tell the church what to do. It does not have, the, does not have that authority. If a parachurch organization ever usurps the authority of the church, it should be rebuked and shunned by the church. Every good mission agency that I know of will respect the church's authority. In fact, if there is a problem with the missionary under its auspices, 
the leadership of that agency should contact the missionary sending pastor before consulting anyone else. Any missionary, any mission agent that does not follow that policy should not be supported by the local church. It is my belief that Christian schools and universities should follow that same policy. In the case of Christian schools, the practice should be to consult with the parents first and then the pastor because the home is also an institution with authority established by God. The school is not. And so parachurch organizations can become a real problem. All right, now what I'm going to do now, I've got too much to do that. I got three more pages of stuff here. Um, I'll tell you what, if you'll bring this back next week, I'll to fill in the blanks for you, okay? All right? But if you want to stay through lunch, I'll be glad to teach the rest of it. <laughs> you don't want to, do you? <laughs> All right, well, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for... Uh, your wisdom. Thank you for your word. Thank God for the privilege that we have to teach it. And I pray, God, that you will teach us to be good stewards of your word. Thank you, God, for the privilege that we have of supporting so many missionaries and having a part in their life and ministry. Bless them each, we pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.